planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. So, so should we uh should we start knocking out the dune part then? <laughs> we can start our conversation on 2021. I guess Dennis Villeneuve's Dune. Denis Villeneuve. This fucking movie. So obviously, can I, can I just sh- ask, did you like it? So this year, man, it's been a lot of pump fakes, a lot of heartbreaks, a lot of expectations torn down to the depths of hell. But I watched this movie, and I say this without hyperbole. The first time I watched this movie in the movie theater. I almost cried because I was so happy. So, and the funny thing is, the scene I almost cried at, it was a super nothing scene. It was a scene when Idaho Duncan. Duncan, Idaho. Oh, I'm Idaho, Idaho comma, space last, Duncan. Idaho's <laughs> his last name for some fucking reason. I know. So it was it was a scene when they were in the bunker and he was showing them this the little tools or whatever and it was a it was a super nothing scene it was exposition scene and it was kind of like jason momoa i shit on this guy all the fucking time and he was actually good in this movie and it was like everyone was bought in and i was just so overwhelmed that i got choked up because i was so happy this movie was good my god man you've gone native you admire them I do. They're fierce, but loyal. They're tuned to the desert. Part of it. It's part of them. You wait till you see it. It's beautiful out there. The amount of care that exists in this movie, it makes it feel like a precious object. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, I, this was the first press screener my, my partner went to with me, by the way. Um, and I love watching him and my brother watch movies because they both like they get those big anime eyes when shit's good (laughs) and I I looked around the whole theater at one point not because I wasn't engaged but because I I so value people's reactions to cinema I think it's so valuable to see a sea of faces where I couldn't see mouths but it was just a theater full of those big anime eyes. <laughs> For me, I started crying when I saw the or getting misty. I didn't really cry, cry, but like I got those, I got those big like <gasps> feelings when I saw the Thopters for the first time. Okay. And the way that they moved, and they really move like dragonflies. <laughs> yes. 
I feel like the episodes where we really love things are always boring. <laughs> I mean, I... And I feel a little bad about that. So permit me, if you will, to talk about some of some of the, the just general Dune stuff, right? So for better or for worse, the first Dune novel slash movie duology, I guess we'll call it, is kind of a white savior complex narrative. Yeah. Um, and then books two through like six are all about deconstructing that. Okay. I have no idea how much of that we're going to actually get in this series. But one of the things that from the jump I thought was very well done and I thought landed as, as well as it did in the book was the idea that all of the non-Atreides folks are filmed in the same type of shot, in the same color palette. They are given the same respect by the camera because yeah. it so ties into... The idea that Leto is trying to instill respect by giving respect. And so the fact that the camera movements and the epicness of the music was equivalent for each community, it was different, but the respect was equal. To me, did a lot of the lifting to deconstruct this narrative while still staying authentic to the narrative. The awareness that... Dune has about the tropes that Dune created and that they are still (laughs) tropes while still making them feel fresh in the visual language, I think is incredibly special. Yeah. And I know that it is only half a movie right now, (laughs) but I do feel like we witnessed something rare. Talk about rare. Like for me, this feels like the first epic I've watched. We saw, you know, Thanos throwing planets at Iron Man or whatever. But this feels like a true definition of an epic. Like every single piece of this movie matters. And I'm mm-hmm. so happy you suggested I watch this in a the movie theater first because, you know, the funny thing is I was so engrossed in the movie, just absorbing it all. Even though I knew what the movie was about, I couldn't tell you what it was about because I was just living the experience of just experience. the movie. The, the like, music especially, I feel. I am usually ambivalent on Hans Zimmer. You are. You are. <laughs> and I think when he's good, he's good. But when he's bad, he's bad. And the idea behind this movie, and this is something that I knew because of the featurette, but something I picked up on even before we heard him speak in the featurette, was the idea that the Atreides and the Fremen and Yeti Prime and all of the planets are not instrumentation forward. They're human voice forward. Because if we came from a planet and then I had to spread across the whole galaxy, one thing we would all still have is, is human voice. Yeah. The other thing that really got me is like the Atreides aren't European horns because in every historical epic the the white folk, the white hero folk are always horns. They're always the European instruments. And that is not the case here, even though they're coded as overtly Spanish, which I love actually. (laughs) It's so weird that Star Wars and Dune both have Oscar Isaac 
within a year of each other where they have like a teenager Oscar Isaac and then also like my grandpappy Oscar Isaac within like a year of each other. Oh man. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say my daddy Oscar Isaac. But still. I um, mean, hey, a lot lot of people's daddy. (laughs) Holy shit. Papa, Uh, Papa, Papa. You know the funny thing is talking about the sound you know, the funny thing is, I never realized this about Star Wars. There's no, like, wood floors in Star Wars. When I watched this, when I watched Dune for, like, the second or third time, I, I was really trying to engross myself in the, in the sound and richness of it. And you can hear the set that they built for the library, for the box scene. I heard it was wood floors before I even noticed it was wood floors. Like, just the attention to detail for every single piece of sound in this movie is fucking crazy. Yeah. Also, fun fact. Uh, you know the uh, music in the beginning of A New Hope? You know, the dent in it, the cantina band? Yeah. Do you know what that music is canonically called? What? Jizz. George Lucas, you horny boy, you horny boy. George Lucas needs to be stopped. Anyway, no, he doesn't actually. Please give him a Disney Plus series where he like, please, please give the man a job. <laughs> a non-Star Wars job? No, just give him a Star Wars miniseries and let him do whatever he wants and give him all the money. And you can make it like non-canon, but like give him things to do. I don't care. Just don't direct, please. No, he, I don't care. Let it, Let the man do whatever he wants. Imagine Dune with the this irritated sand scene. <laughs> yeah, but like the thing is, I I do have to say I have ironic appreciation for those movies. And like, yeah, give them the Disney budget and resources and let him make some art. Ooh, I guess, I guess. Anyway, I'm gonna say this, and I'm probably only gonna say this this one time. Okay. This is the role that Timothy Chalamet has been waiting for for me. Oh, okay. Extrapolate that. Me, to me, in every role I've ever seen him in, he's been waiting for his, his Shakespearean tragedy performance where he gets <laughs> to dig his teeth in and be a hero, but also a tragic hero. And like that does not exist in Lady Bird. That does not exist in Little Women for him. That does not, and I think, and even it does not exist in the French Dispatch for him. Not to say that he does a bad job in those movies, but I can feel him pushing at his direction, at his role to to be this. I can see that. I can see that. And so to see him finally get a chance to stretch himself, to push those boundaries that have been imposed on him. To not just be a boy, but to be a boy king and also a tortured boy king. (laughs) Like, finally, is all I can say. Like, this is what was missing for me for him. Okay, okay. Is that I have felt that he has been perhaps auditioning to be Paul Atreides this whole time. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. And now that he, he has had it, I understand why why he has has been pushing for it for himself. Yeah. The scene uh, that comes to mind for me is the one in the tent where she's like trying oh, yeah. to explain 
And there's a moment where I looked at him and I was like, he just had 74 separate emotions in three seconds. My spice was flowing. The spice was flowing. My theater teacher always used to talk about how Meryl Streep was a great example of someone who could have several nonverbal emotions in the time it took for you to blink your eye. And I really feel like Timothy Chalamet was given this opportunity here. And he he grabbed it with both hands and at least one of his legs. I mean, (laughs) the third leg. And he is refusing (laughs) to let it go. And like, I don't think he's going to get an Oscar nomination for this. Because I don't think that the Academy likes to reward genre film. Yeah. But if he did... I would not be surprised because I feel that it is earned. Maybe the next one, but no, I dig you. I dig you. I do think this is his best performance. I think before this, I would have said his best performance was probably, you know what? I do love Call Me By Your Name, but I think Little Women was probably the better one. Well, yeah, no, I totally get that. Because um, Army Hammer is a cannibal. I, I mean, he was trying to that's, eat that's his ass. A, a sexual assailant cannibal. Yeah, that, that one doesn't get a lot of revisits, to be very honest. There's a couple things about Dune that I think are very important and very interesting. As someone who's been a big fan of the book, but also acknowledges that there are some issues there. I loved believing that Jessica and Leto were in love. I feel like it is often very perceived as like, oh, well, she was like a sign to him. It was an arrangement. It was all for Paul. But like, it's not. And that's the point. Yeah. If you really, really examine the text of Dune, she believed, Jessica believed that her and Leto's love were going to be enough to fix all those problems that the Kwisak Haderach were maybe going to have. Oh, my God. When he says, I thought we'd have more time. I just, the scene just came all right the fuck now. Mine too. too. Oh, everybody get the scene where they're on the bed and like, they're actually caressing each other. Like, I love Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't have this, man. Like, you know, the funny thing I noticed in this movie, and I noticed it like the second or third time I watched this movie, people actually love each other. And they, even for Paul... Did you notice how many times everyone touched Paul? Like, literally, yeah. like, touched him? Like, yes. there's a level of emotion and a level of comfort that this movie has about itself that you don't really see in a lot of sci-fi for whatever reason. This movie that you, like, truly care about each other is so fucking great. Your grandfather said, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it, and he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. I found my own way to it. Maybe you'll find yours. In their memory. Give it a try. 
for me, Dune in a lot of ways has always been the very physical representation of it takes a village to raise a child. Oh, I can tell. I can tell. And you see the physical parents, you see the tutors, you see Gurney Halleck, who is this grizzled, angry man, but also has this beautiful artistic soul. You see his tutor. Did you notice how hard he tried not to hurt Paul? He, Which part? With Yui. He is willing to, to kill the man who, one thing that I wish they had included and this is a very minor nitpick in my opinion, but I think it makes so much, it makes what happens so much sadder is that in the books, Leto has been looking for Yui's wife for years. Oh, damn. Ooh, that would have been a bit kind of tough to get in there, but that would have been pretty nuts to actually bring up. Ooh, I think there damn. could have just been one scene where Yui and, and Leto are like, okay, so how's Paul doing? Oh, he's doing well. Have you heard anything about my wife? No, but I'm still looking for her. Oh my God. That I feel like I get a, a gut punch just learning that. That makes it fucking worse. God fucking down. Yeah. But the thing is that the Baron tells him, convinces him that, that she... he hasn't been looking. Oh, oh, you fucking jerk off. Okay. All right. And Fuck. that, yeah, no, dude, it's Yui is really a tragic figure in a lot of ways. Like he's kind of conniving, but he's also kind of an idiot. He is so blinded by how much he misses his wife and how human his wife made him. That humanity is the thing that ends up leading him astray horribly. Yeah, that's that's fucking hard body. And speaking of that, the actor that actually that played him in the original Dune movie uh, rest in peace to Dean Stockwell. He he just passed uh, two days yes. ago. So rest in peace to the God for that one. Just wanted to throw that out there. But no, in, in the first movie, I was going to say, on your point, the first movie doesn't really do that. It's, I mean, the first movie is, is a fucking ride. But this movie, though, from the conversation that he had right before he inserted the tooth, you do at least get a moment of... It's totally fucked up, but you can, I mean, you see the kind of reasoning by even if he didn't want to actually betray these people. So, yes, no, it's it's really hard. And that's the thing that I kind of love about if you read the Dune book ever, the idea is that someone is recanting this history for like oh. basically an, an extended encyclopedia entry. <laughs> Hilarious. That's funny. And it's a character that hasn't been introduced yet, except in name, which would be the Princess Irulan, who is the daughter of the Emperor. We have not been introduced to Princess Irulan at all yet, except to say that Paul was like, the Emperor's only got daughters, am I right, ladies? Um, <laughs> you see me, you see me call me by your name, you know what it is. Got that peach. Anyway. Jesus. <laughs> I'll be here all day. Um. Hilarious. Hiya, Puddins. It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell you all about it. It's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or Theater from Our Butts. Have a good day, Puddins, and love, trust, and belief. I do want to give a shout out once again to 
to Jason Momoa. I did totally, totally fucking doubt this guy. And he he was really good in this movie. I was really fucking with him in this movie. Well, the thing that made me laugh is that in this movie, I really feel like he just played Jason Momoa because Duncan Idaho is just like a guy. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. But it works so well. And their contrast, uh, the contrast that they do between him and Gurney, I think is so good because in the book, it's a little hard to like tell, like, you know, you know, but like, you, you, you know, you have to, you have to differentiate. Anyway. That said, can I can I get into some some weird sequel shit that happens with Duncan Idaho that I think is hysterical? Imagining Jason Momoa being that. Go for it. In the future, some society decides that he is like the apex of humanity. So they bring <laughs> him back to life and like breed him. Oh my. Oh my. And I'm like, well, now that it's Jason Momoa, in in my brain, I'm just hearing him going, my man. And like, I just, I can't. I can't. I am unable to can. That would be so fucking wild, man. That would be fucking funny. You'll have to revisit that when we get to Dune 7. Basically. And you know, it just hit me. He's basically doing The Rock, but good. Yeah, he's doing The Rock, but what if The Rock was charming? which he is in some movies but it is not uniform bro i don't i don't think the rock has been charming since like oh uh fast and furious like the the one after brazil so i guess fast six or whatever whatever i was gonna say i thought he was really good in the game plan which was that movie where he plays a fake new england patriot who finds out he has a daughter and yeah. like is trying to deal with that i think that movie is very good that was in like 06 or 07 or some shit like that i feel like it may have been earlier than that uh shout out to my friend ethan who one time was like want to come over and hang out and like get drunk and watch a movie and i was like yes and then he's like this is the game plan and i was like oh this is what we're doing okay uh, i i caught it 07 i was close yes the rock uh, i know Kellen hates when i show him the rock but he just he, it, oh my god if they would have ha- cast the rock in this movie like i would have been mad <laughs> i would have <been> so mad <laughs> oh man if he would have been oh no i would have been fucking pissed no 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 leave the rock out of this universe please i think he could have done the batista role okay Rock doesn't want to be bad guys. That's the problem, though. He also so, contractually can't lose a fight, which is not going to work out great for the Nazi stand-in family. Um, it's not. It's really not. That said, uh, one thing that I do think is interesting, and I know you don't care because you're not a book guy, and I do think this movie is. I gave it four and a half. You gave it five. Yep. I hated how this movie ended. <laughs> That's the only reason it didn't get a five from me. So let's talk about the ending. She looked into the camera and was like, this is just the beginning. And I was like, bitch, no, you don't. And then it was like, Dune credits. And I was like, bitch. Oh, but anyway, um, <laughs> bitch. Um, <laughs> it would be one thing if that was a, a book, like if, if she pulled, if that was a line from the book, I'd be like, I, I, 
But like, she might as well have looked directly into the camera and been like, now you're getting a sequel. Unless you pirated this. HBO Max 2023. Wink. Yeah, no. I Anyway, in this essay. In, in the book, and I, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to the book. But this is an aspect that I thought it was interesting they chose to admit. Omit, excuse me. The Baron Harkonnen has a nephew. His name is Fade Routha. I don't know if he'll be in the next movie, but by this point in the book story, he's been introduced. And Fade Routha, played by Sting. in the Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason that he is the Baron's favorite nephew is because he looks like Paul Atreides. And it is also very heavily implied that the Baron is a gay pedophile. Yeah, oh, in the, yes, the first movie, you definitely, you definitely see that shit. Who really wants Paul for the collection? For the rotation. That's, that's fucking hard, yo. That's too fucking hard. Well, no. I don't know that no it is intended. too hard. No pun intended. So, uh, <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, by this time in the movie, he is actually is introduced so what if they yo what if they get like tom holland or some shit to be that character in the next movie that'd be fucking funny tom holland as the anti-timothy chalamet would really (laughs) that would be something that would be fuck that would be a a choice i'm into it though oh i am too tom holland hasn't done any bad guy roles so he should be up for that shit fucking why not yeah, I mean, what's he got to lose? Unless it violates his Disney contract. Oh, uh, well, can't be associated with pedophiles and work for Disney. Well, hopefully. Uh, I accept all those pedophiles who work for Disney. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I said, let me walk that back a little bit. <laughs> um, what's your favorite scene in this movie? I, I'm at a toss up because the scene where Paul is just kneeling in front of the spice harvester. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's fully ready to die in that moment. Yeah. And it's not even like dying, dying. He's just ready to give himself back to the desert. Yeah. And then the follow up moment is that whole scene in the tent. I think that is the moment where both Jessica and Paul get to shine the most as as performers and also as mother and son in a way that doesn't feel cloying. Yeah, I did love her in the the box scene when she's like doing the fear monologue. Basically the Lord's prayer but with fear in their universe. I am not fe- yes. Like fear is the mind killer. <laughs>
Rebecca Ferguson was really good in that fucking scene. Like that was that whole, actually that whole that whole scene is like really great. Um, so that's that's kind of up there for me. One of the kind of well, it's technically a scene, but it was a scene where you know, the guy that Paul eventually kills, he's having the projected image of him kind of talking about riding the sandworms. But I think in the next movie, it's basically going to be um, Zendaya's character. I love that Paul has like the visions, but his visions are, they don't tell the full story. Like they have some accuracy, but not full accuracy. Yes. And in the way they shot it and like the way, even you watch it the first time, you think it actually is going to be that guy telling the story, but then it, it's going to turn out that it's not him. Mm-hmm. And I love how they didn't say the spice must flow, but that scene was basically like, like go with the flow or some shit like that. Like, I'm probably going to clip it for the episode so it'll come out way better than I'm describing it now, but mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that scene. I just... Oh, man. That scene is so fucking good, man. This whole movie is really, really good. The mystery of life isn't a problem to solve. What a reality to experience. A process that cannot be understood by stopping it. We must move with the flow of the process. We must join it. We must flow with it. I think you talked a little bit about kind of the this and die a wink at the camera part that you didn't necessarily care for. for I think it should have ended with with the fight ending and them going, okay, we have to go back. We have to take them back. I think it should have just ended like two minutes earlier. Um because the idea that part one of a two-part movie ends with someone going this is just the beginning like get out of here (laughs) get out of here that was very 80s take your still suit and get out that was very like night out of 1984 like also also i i think my movie is a few minutes ahead of you aloha aloha oh no i just saw it just now i saw (laughs) (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) pardon my gross laugh bro yo also my partner doesn't listen to the podcast so i don't care please keep in mind how straight of a face i managed to keep while my boyfriend was sitting right next to me during this scene all you had to do is cover your face you had to just put your hand on your face like you're leaning and just i didn't even have to Dang, he got the, the, the sweat on the chest in this shit. Oh, man. All right. I ain't saying shit, but I am keeping great track. of. Oh, my God. His fucking shoulder. His shoulder. Goddamn. 
I'm the, I, oh my. I have decided to pass away. Have you seen the show with him and Jessica Chastain on HBO Max? No. That, so I'm not going to give away the show, but there's a scene where him and Jessica Chastain, they're taxing on a couch. And it's obviously, it's it's made for TV, but at the same time, like, it's, uh, it's, it's Boing's Up approved. I'll definitely say that. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, fuck. We didn't shout out fucking my man, Skarsgård. Oh, yo. I cannot wait to see more of what he do, though. Because yeah. I feel like we just got a little teaser of his performance. I got a crumb of his performance. Give me the whole thing. Yeah, man. He's like the friendly dad in Mamma Mia. He's like the nice doctor in Marvel. So to see him just be like, oh, by the way, I'm fucking evil. I was like, sir, this is a miracle. Has he played bad guys before in anything? I don't know, but one of his oh, sons is just it. The only time he played a bad guy was in Ronin. That's what like like 95, like 90, like 98 or some shit. Like that's a long time ago. He's just got a very nice face. He looks very friendly. Maybe this Google hunting talking, but he definitely looks like your favorite college professor that matches one of the bones. So, or like that uncle that like every like every kid in the neighborhood knows because he gives the best candy at Halloween. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> the full size candy bars of Halloween. He, he lets you have a beer when you're like thirteen, as long as you don't tell your parents. <laughs> Hilarious. That's funny. So His actually, I think it's so good. It's so well casted. It's so well scripted. Like everything about it. I think this was a really solid movie, and I'm very excited to see what is going to happen next. I mean, I know that I know, but I'm excited to see how it's rendered visually in this language. I know you track your movies on Letterboxd, but definitely not to the extent that I do, so I don't really blame you for this. But of all the movies that you've seen this year, where would you say Dune kind of ranks? Would you say it's top? five top 10 top 20 for you what would you say it's top five for sure um are we talking movies that came out this year or are we talking movies that i watched for the first time this year yeah watch for the first time this year okay is definitely top five because i know just 2021 movies i know it's number one for me it's not even close yeah would you like to know my tentative list right now sure would yes for the top five movies i saw for the first time in 2021 yes matinee the john goodwin movie yes okay <laughs> it's on my watch list well i know of it but yes i know it's of it, so yes. it's so good mitchell's versus the machines gremlins to the new batch <laughs> rope the alfred hitchcock movie and dune rope is on my um watch list also of all of my favorite movies that I've seen for the first time this year, one of them came out this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. I take that back. I don't know what's got to get bumped, but the Royal Tenenbaums deserves to be on that list. But so, um, in terms of movies that came out this year, it's, it's kind of boy, this year, man. It's, I guess uh, taking a shot at love, the Hallmark movie was uh, pretty <gasps> all right. Uh, all right. All right. Would you give Ryan a black? Uh, Ryan the Last Dragon four stars or three and a half. I think I gave it four. I watched a lot of really good movies for the first time this year. Just none of them were the movies that came out this year. I don't know. 
So here, here's my top 10 for this year so far. Mm-hmm. So my, my number 10 is Chinatown. Number nine is, is this comedy called Rage, A Rage in Harlem? It stars uh, Forrest Whitaker, Gregory Hines, and, and Robin Givens, and Danny mm-hmm. Glover. It's like mm-hmm. from 91, and it's kind of like overlooked, but it's mad funny. Uh, that's one number nine. Number eight is Jacob's Ladder. I think you would really dig Jacob's Ladder. It's pretty gnarly. It's about this guy who comes home from Vietnam and he has like these, he kind of has like this break. It's, it's like really fucking creepy, but it's like really good. LA Confidential 7. It's good, but it's copaganda. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number six is um, In the Mood for Love. Number five is Complier. Is this movie with Clive Owen? from 98 and he's like this i can't call him a gambler but he's like a professional gambler and he's like doing some like kind of wild shit in that movie it's actually really good i've never heard of it before number four is this movie called an unmarried woman and Mm. that movie's actually really good it's from 78 and it's basically about this woman who's in this marriage and then it kind of falls apart and she's sort of like picking up the pieces from there it's it's like really really good three is michael clayton Two is 2021's Dune, and number one is Casablanca. Dune. I feel weird not including Casablanca on the list. And that's not because I don't think it's a great movie, but it's because I feel like so much of my understanding of cinema was informed by the pieces of Casablanca I saw before I even saw Casablanca. Yeah. But like by the time I saw it, I was like, oh, this one. Okay, great. And I really enjoyed it, but like I did not. I didn't feel like I discovered anything. Yeah, for me, it definitely wasn't about discovering. It was more just about confirmation. Like, it was, it was one of those things, like, you know, for 35 years, like, I've heard people just love Casablanca, love Casablanca, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then watching it, it was like, okay, I get it. it. I have also realized, though, that for a long time, I really, really thought I wanted to date a Humphrey Bogart, but I actually have been trying to date the other guy this whole time, and, like, I <laughs> low-key have one now, and I'm like, oh, hey. That's actually the funny thing. You, you shouldn't be going for Humphrey Bogart's character in that. Like, you no, should be going for Victor Laszlo. Yeah, you the want the Victor Laszlo. The only thing he does in that movie is go, oh, wait, maybe, maybe Victor Laszlo is what we should be doing here. <laughs> Gotta let him go. Gotta let him go. If that was just like some underground hit or whatever, and I just like happened to come across it, I still think that would have been the best movie I watched this year. So, yeah, that's fair. It really held up for me. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Showin Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow our Twitter page, at Cat and Mark, and read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? <laughs>